following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So back to the Gospel of Luke. Today we're going to look at verses 10 through 17 of Luke 13, where Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath day. So let's just jump right in. Luke 13:10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. (sighs) Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath Untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask for your guidance as we look at your word this morning. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would speak and that we as your people would hear your voice and not mine. Lord, may your word live to us that we might live for you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a very important guiding principle we must be sure to follow whenever we look into the Bible. Whenever we consider God's word, we have to remember this one thing. And that principle is simply the text can never mean what it never meant. The text can never mean what it never meant. It can never mean to modern readers what it didn't mean to its original readers. Does that make sense? Well, maybe in principle, but we'll, we'll look, uh, we'll figure it out. The, the weather is changing, so forgive me. This is going to take longer. Um, uh, in the case of the Gospel of Luke, who is the original recipient? Theophilus, right? Says that in verse 1 of Luke 1, my dear Theophilus, right? <laughs> you read this before. <laughs> right? So in the case of the Gospel of Luke, the original audience is Theophilus and the first century church. Okay? I don't know if you're aware of that, but the first century was a minute or two ago. Uh, there's been some time in between. 
But what that means is we need to remember it cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. Okay? Uh, we may very well apply that meaning in very different ways, um, uh, but the meaning remains the same. This is an important guiding principle to follow because when we don't think that way, we can go off on all kinds of bunny trails. We can make up all kinds of weird things, and we can make historical accounts turn into allegories, right, and turn into parables of our own, uh, of our own making based on our own imagination. And when it comes to preaching and preparing sermons, especially for historical narratives such as the Gospels, it's an incredibly, uh, well, it's a constant temptation, Let's make this symbolic and uh, not um, like this was a real person and this was a real event. Um, and there's an example right here in our text. Okay, so this is I'm, what I'm about to say is false or it could be generally true, but it's not the meaning of the text. Okay, so there's your disclaimer. So. Think of it this way. Jesus symbolically enters into our world, our synagogue, and he finds the symbolically crippled and marginalized person or, or people. And he, they're symbolically uh, bent over by sin, right? It's sin that's weighing them down, right? And Jesus enters into their world and brings uprightness to them and by faith, they are symbolically straightened up and praise God for it. Amen. Amen. Let's close in prayer, right? So are those things, I mean, kind of generally true? Yeah. Jesus entered a, a world crippled by sin, right? And he brings uprightness and righteousness to, to the world. And by faith in him, in God's sight, we are made straight. Uh, and praise God. So those, those things are generally true. Is that what Luke meant when he wrote this account? No. Is that what the Holy Spirit was intending to teach from this account, from this text? No. Are those things true? Maybe, for the most part. Use your imagination, whatever. But that's not why Luke recorded this event in the synagogue that day. Because that's not the message that Theophilus and the first century church would have received. Um, but just as importantly, on the other side of the coin, can we, when we look at this text, is this uh, account just about the fact that it was a good thing for Jesus to do good to somebody on the Sabbath day? I, I know you feel like you're going to be tricked, whatever. <laughs> I'm getting predictable, right? So, no, that's not, uh, it, this is not just, it's okay to heal on the Sabbath. Amen. Move on, right? There's more to it than that. Um, so, there are, there are a few things for us to recognize. Uh, so, let's, let's look a little closer this particular lady had, uh, as Luke records, 
a disabling spirit in verse 11. For 18 years, she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Okay, um, so there are, there are a, a sprinkling of, of uh, health care professionals here. Um, was, her, uh, was her kyphosis caused by osteoporosis or ankylosing spondylitis? Uh, well, don't know, right? What we do know is that her condition was caused by a disabling spirit. because That's what the Bible tells us. This is not a normal sickness, right? This is not Jesus entering on the scene and healing osteoporosis, right? There's more to it than that. This was an unclean spirit at work in her body. That's important for us to recognize, first of all, uh, because the healing that Jesus does is not just physical healing. His primary healing for people is spiritual, and sometimes there's physical benefits to that. But there is always a spiritual benefit to an encounter with Jesus. This is really important for us to get a hold of because, for one, um, it, it's important for us to recognize that not everybody that is sick is oppressed by the devil. That's, that's super important. And, and I, I know that in this context we can say yes, amen. Um, however, how many conversations do we have with people, faithful people, disciples of Jesus that say, you know, that the devil must want me to do this or not do that because he made me sick or made this happen to me, whatever. We give the devil the credit when it's not, not always the case, not usually the case. Your cough, your cold, your cancer, your foreign accent syndrome, <laughs> not brought on by the devil, okay? Uh, that's, that's, that's important for us to recognize. Uh, it's not... Um, not demons at work, not always, not usually demons at work in our bodies. Now, sickness is certainly a result of the fall, right? It's a result of the curse from Genesis chapter 3, right? When, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin and death entered the world, right? And we are sometimes allowed by God to get sick or to get hurt or to have some kind of health struggle. But we cannot blame every malady that we face. Uh, we can't think that it's the devil just trying to get us. Okay? Rather, let's glorify God through our difficulty. Okay? That's a perspective change that needs to happen in all of us, I think. And that's why this lady was afflicted. Consider that for a minute. She'd been oppressed by the devil, right? An actual demon at work in her body for 18 years, making her um, bent over. Why? Don't we often ask that question? Why, God, is this happening to me? I know I've asked that question. And the answer is always the same. It's in order to glorify God. That's why. Verse 12 says, When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. 
and he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, this, of course, is the appropriate response, right? And it's also a great reminder that when the Father answers your prayers, thank him. Give him glory for that. Man, this drives me crazy. In my own life, talking about difficulty with your prayers, like when you ask God specifically for something or to rectify some situation or smooth out some rough patch, and then he does, and you're like, great. And just keep, glad that worked out. (laughs) Glorify God in the day of your visitation, right? We ask him for things all the time. I ask him, I can't speak for you. I ask him for stuff all the time. Fix this, give me that, whatever. And then he does. Well, glad that worked out. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for choosing to work it this way, whatever, whatever it is. This lady wasn't the only one in the synagogue that day that was sick. She had a spiritually induced spinal condition, but the leaders of the synagogue had a spiritually induced heart condition. Hardness of heart is what the Bible calls it. This miracle performed by Jesus in their synagogue on a woman that they knew with a condition that they would have been familiar with had absolutely no effect on them at all. Imagine that. It made no impression on their hardened hearts. Now, it's really easy for us to separate ourselves from these accounts in Scripture because we don't understand what the culture was like, right? Uh, The synagogue in the first century was not – it was very similar to the church in how we exercise it now. Um, But one thing that was very different is that the people who gathered in that place – to worship and to and to be taught from the scriptures lived right next door. Everybody walked, right? Because gas was really expensive in the first century. And there were rules about how far you could walk on the Sabbath, which meant you had to live within 300 yards or so. I forget exactly what it is. You had to live so close to the synagogue. And it wasn't like, um, so we used to go to that synagogue, but like their chairs are uncomfortable. So we decided to go to this synagogue over here, right? That's what we do. That's what we do now because there's no rules about, well, you know, I can only drive for seven and a half minutes before I violate the law. Right? We, we pick and choose, right? And I'm, I'm very grateful that you all picked here uh, to worship together and be a family. But there was no... Hopping. There wasn't synagogue hopping. So the point is, this lady who has had this condition for 18 years was well acquainted with the leaders of the synagogue. Right? Their their guy, I'm not going to say pastor, but it's a very similar role. Their synagogue ruler, so you can see why I don't like that. I'm not going to make a parallel there. They knew her. They, they knew her condition. Did they feel no empathy for this lady at all? She's healed and they're 
they did not praise God for that because I, I can only guess. But the simple truth is it's hardness of heart. They rejected, they rejected the Lord because of their hardened hearts. Verse 14 says, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Don't you wonder what would happen if this was a Tuesday morning? What would he have said then? What would the excuse be then? Not Sabbath anymore, but there's got to be something. Right? I wonder what foolishness would, would have come out of the synagogue's rulers' mouths. But Jesus' response to them is really important. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Um, hypocrites isn't an English word. It's a Greek word. Um, just pronounced a little different. And it means one who pretends to be other than he really is. Right? Upokrites. Impress your friend. One who pretends to be other than he really is. And this is an important uh, word that Jesus uses here because though we tend to judge based on the external, in the appearances, Jesus judges the heart. He can see within. Right? So when he calls them hypocrites, it's because he knows their hearts. And he knows their motivations behind what they said and what they did. But we have to ask the question, what is it that made these men hypocrites? What was it that they said that was hypocritical? Come, come on a different day to be healed, not on the Sabbath. What's hypocritical about that? What they were attempting to do is shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Shut the door. They would neither enter themselves nor allow anyone else to enter. Now, Jesus said this about the Pharisees and the scribes in Matthew 23, 11. These people are doing the same thing. Taking away the key of knowledge, not entering the kingdom and hindering those who would enter as he said to the lawyers in Luke 11:52. It's exactly what the synagogue rulers were doing. These people claimed to belong to God but did not want to see God work, at least not in the ways that they didn't approve of. At least not in a way that would threaten their own man-made kingdoms. Verse 15 says then the Lord answered them you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? You know the answer to that? Does not each of you untie on the Sabbath untie your ox or a donkey? Yes. The answer is yes. Right? It was lawful, to be clear. 
it was lawful to untie your ox or your donkey to lead them to water on the Sabbath day. It's not a violation of, of it's certainly not a violation of God's law as recorded in, uh, in the Bible. And it also didn't violate the extra biblical rules that the Pharisees and the scribes and the rabbis had made up. They would, they would have each literally loosed the bonds of their animals for their own good that morning after only being bound for one night, right? Jesus contends that it's just as lawful to loose the bonds of this woman, their sister, after being held for 18 years. It's just as lawful to loose her bonds on the Sabbath day as it was for oxes or donkeys, In Matthew 12, 10 through 12, Jesus dealt with the same question in a different synagogue, but his response was exactly the same. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, which of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. These synagogue rulers, as well as those Pharisees and scribes in Matthew 12, are trying to limit the grace of God as if the exercise of his power would somehow interrupt his favor on them. Does that make any sense? Like, not for real. But if the exercise of God's power threatens your control over your little kingdom, now you're, now you're talking, right? It doesn't make any sense at all when we look at it this way and from this direction. But their hardness of heart could not be reasoned with. On the surface, it was this poor bent-over lady that was bound. But regardless of her physical condition, she recognized the Messiah. She recognized Jesus and was set free. She was free before. Think about that. She glorified God because she recognized Messiah. She was already free. In truth, it was the synagogue rulers who were bound. They were blinded by their own sin. They were lost to their own traditions of building their own little kingdoms of power and influence. As Warren Wiersbe said, Satan puts people in bondage, but true freedom comes from trusting Christ. That lady was already free. So what about us? If that's the meaning, what's the application? What do we do with this? Are we so busy trying to prove our own worth that we do not recognize the grace of God? That's not an easy question for me. I don't know about it. I don't know about you. Productivity does not equal worth. I just need to preach myself for just a minute here. 
Are we actively or perhaps unknowingly attempt, attempting to limit the grace of God because we don't think that we need it? Or maybe that we think he couldn't possibly extend it to somebody like us? Maybe we're more, uh, maybe you are more like this poor woman, a happy recipient of God's grace through Jesus. Praise the Lord. Or maybe you're more like the synagogue rulers, unhappy about how God is manifesting his grace in your midst, despite your best efforts to stop it or to get him to do it differently. This text for sure is a teaching on on how it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. But more importantly, it's a reminder that Jesus is our Sabbath. And we can rest in him. The Jews take, uh, they, they, they have since the beginning of the giving of the law, start the Sabbath, sundown Friday night, and it lasts sundown Saturday night. So the whole day of Saturday is given to rest and not to work. But when it comes to the work of dealing with our sin, Jesus has done the work. And so we can rest in him. We don't have to prove our worth to be recipients of God's grace. He extends it to us freely. All he asks is that we trust Christ because he has done the work for us. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus has done the work for us to be made right in your sight. For us to be considered righteous because of Jesus' work on the cross. By his death and resurrection, we are set free. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that you would help us all let, to let go of the idea that we must somehow prove our worth to you. Because you have already shown, you have already proven your love for us and our worthiness, such as it is, to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. I pray, Father, if there is anyone within the sound of my voice that does not know that Sabbath rest in Jesus because they have not put their trust in him, I pray that even now, in the quietness of their own hearts, they would just say, Lord, forgive me. 
I recognize Jesus' death on the cross was for me and my sin. I turn from my sin now to follow you for the rest of my life. And Lord, for those of us who have been following you that still struggle with this idea of worthiness, pray, Lord, that you would remind us again of the truth of your great love for us, regardless of what we have done, who we are, where we came from. We thank you that you loved us so much that you sent us your son, Jesus. May we glory in his name and glorify your name through him. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.